You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Uh, rock and Roll Bedtime Stories exist to uh, put to bed some of those rumors and innuendos that you've heard about your favorite bands. You don't know if the stories are true or not. Like recently we talked about Van Halen and the Brown M&Ms. What's the story, man? Yeah. We put that one to bed. We've talked a little bit about Guns N' Roses, specifically about Slash being chased by a movie monster. Right. There's a whole lot back in the archive if you haven't heard it. And you can check us out at wearethestoryguys at gmail.com if you want to send us something to research. You can check us out online at wearethestoryguys.com um, for all of our podcasts and the other things we're involved with. But today... Today I have a story for you, man, um, that's kind of exciting because it involves The Who. And we've not done an episode on The Who. I have a little bit of a personal connection to The Who because I was raised uh, by a preacher man who reformed himself and gave up listening to rock and roll in the late 70s. But as I got older, I started to ask him, as I realized that he at one point in his life was a little wild, I said, Dad, what band rocked your face off when you were a, when you were a teenager? And he said, oh, man, I was into The Who. I even saw The Who. At, in a tent or something like he saw like some outdoor show in the late 60s so he saw like peak who um mm. including he saw I, my mm. uncle my uncle also i think was a little was into rock and roll for longer he also took a similar path but i once talked to him about the who i actually called my uncle and said hey i've got tickets to see the who's quadrophenia reunion tour and uh, would you like to come? Because my dad has said, I saw Peak Who. I'm not going to go see them when they're old. That was exactly what my dad said when I asked him if he wanted to go to the Quadrophenia reunion tour with me, which was actually awesome, though no one in the stadium can read and understood that they were coming to a Quadrophenia tour. And so they were like, play the hits. Well, you know, while they're doing uh, the real me and stuff. Uh, anyway, the other thing I... I really remember about the who because I've always had this connection knowing my dad loved them is at some point early in my childhood because my childhood was defined by a discovery of two things rock and roll was one and the other one you probably know this was classic comedy and at some point my dad was like oh dude you know what you need to see the smothers brothers yeah do you remember when the who was on the smothers brothers I mean this is like an infamous thing we don't even we we can't devote an episode of this show to this because it's so famous it would be like stupid but this was when keith moon put dynamite or some sort of explosive yes. into his drum head his bass drum head. and it, and it messed with it uh it permanently messed with pete townsend's hearing yeah, on a former episode, you talked about how much you don't like Pete Townsend. So I, I, yeah. I, I am excited to tell you that this episode is not really about Pete Townsend as much as it is about The Who. It's much more about the guy who loaded his drumhead with an explosive, and that's which Mr. I'm, Keith Moon. Which I'm very excited about. Um, I have, for a long time, a long time, a long time ago, which now you can find on YouTube, of course, but I had the cassette where... Keith Moon joined Led Zeppelin on the drums and they had to
one thing I didn't realize. I didn't realize how young Keith Moon was when he joined the Who. Did you realize this? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a real young guy. He was um, like a all- late teenager when the Who started. A terrific drummer. I mean, he was he's fun to watch. It's like watching Buddy Rich or something. You know, it's just amazing. He's like to me, it's like the. I mean, for me, the the lead guitar player in the band is was Ant Whistle was the bass player. So he was more interesting than all of them. But Moon was more fun to watch for sure. Well, and and you know that's really where you start to think about the showmanship. You know, in the sixties, because I mean, you have Hendrix, who was definitely a showman. But some of this early, I mean, you have Jagger, you know, who starts, who really brings it with, and that's part of the reason that the Stones are so legendary is is the showmanship there. But looking at somebody besides the lead singer, or the you know the main guy who is is the star of the show, like Hendrix, looking at somebody else on stage, there's not a lot of examples of this beforehand, right? In the early days of rock and roll, so Keith Moon is what you know. Think about other bands of that time. You don't name their drummer immediately unless they're just iconic groups like the Beatles and the Stones. But yeah, Keith, Keith Moon, you do. You talk about you talk about Keith Moon not just because he died young and not just because he was a crazy man, but because he was a really talented drummer and a really entertaining and inspiring guy to pay attention to. So, real quickly, I mean, let's just do the backstory before we get to this. Uh, this story takes place in '67, which is still pretty early. Who? It's before. The Who starts to write rock operas. But it should be pointed out, which is often forgotten, that The Who was always kind of about pop art. Like, they were always kind of mod. And they're British, and they were always a a little bit like the weird indie rock kids. Now, history hasn't gone on to show them as that. They become a very mainstream example of rock and roll. But they eventually started, or initially started, as a group called the Detours. And then they became The Who... They started destroying their guitars. This was all part of the, the 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 art rock thing, right? It's like we will destroy our instruments. And, yeah, ripping uh, off ripping off Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And and then they have this song called "I Can't Explain," which I will I will go out on a limb and say still really holds up. that hard kind of junk junk you know start and stop thing in it and it's uh it leads eventually to a string of singles including my generation substitute happy jack 67 is when they perform at the monterey pop festival and when they people start hearing their song i can see for miles which there was a recording in college of a friend of mine who had had way way too much fun one night sitting in the back of a car screaming the lyrics to I Can See for Miles and Miles. <laughs> Still one of my favorite video documents that exists. We've we've all at some point in our lives made that video. But where we're going to go is to Keith Moon in this 
period of time. He is with the band during their rise to fame and immediately becomes kind of known for his drumming style. Um, and he's, he's also one of the first guys along with Ginger Baker, who probably should make an appearance at some point on this show, uh, to, to do double bass drum. Did you ever play in a band with somebody who, who had a double bass drum? No. Um, no, I didn't. I remember going, when I was in college, I met this guy named Ryan. I think I answered an ad, actually. I went through this phase, like freshman year of college, where I started answering ads for musicians. Never panned out. And I met this guy, and he's like, yeah, 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 come meet my drummer. And he drove me out to like this farming community outside of where we went to college. And we walk up to this house on a bunch of land. And the woman answers the door and says, oh, go around to the back shed. And we go around to what looks like the back shed, and there is a guy. And so Ryan's probably three or four years older than me, so he's probably like early 20s at this point. I think I'm 18. We walk into this shed, and there's like this 55-year-old man with the largest drum set I have ever seen in my life. It's so big. And he's just like doing the most massive fills you've ever heard. And Ryan and I are both armed with acoustic guitars. And I'm like, bro, what are we doing here? Like, how is this going to sound? And the guy's just like doing double bass. Like every time he does a fill, there's just like that thunder thing happening under everything. So anyway, Keith Moon, he brought his double bass, his double bass to practice. And and kind of like, you know, when people said Keith Moon's an amazing drummer and you went back and studied Keith Moon, you thought that was part of the formula. So I understand why it took off. Anyway. Let's talk about Keith Moon and his twenty-first birthday party. Have you ever heard this story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're gonna you're you're gonna fill in some details. They're gonna be fun though. So I, I've got to make a shout out. Typically, there's like a, an amalgamation of sources. There's like a lot of things that we consult when we tell these stories. I found this story, the most comprehensive version of this story, on a blog called RockCheetah.com. And I was nice. I was very confused as to what it was. And as I started to dig around in the rest of the website, it's a guy in the hotel industry. Makes sense. Right. And so this story is a is as much about the hotel industry as it is Keith Moon and the Who. Because of that, we have to take a quick detour and we have to talk about the holiday inn. What's your what's your personal feeling about the Holiday Inn. Have you ever stayed in one? I think I think last week I was telling my daughter we were talking about a Holiday Inn, and she was asking me about it. And I, and I said, and I said, I asked her. I was like, I was like, do you have to go poop? And she goes, what? And I was like, I don't know, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last <laughs> week. And she's like, what is that? And I'm like, that used to be an ad campaign that they they used. So I didn't realize um, they were a British-owned American brand. Yes. And they have banned other recording artists from staying at their hotel chain. You're jumping right to the punchline, which is... Yeah. What, Not even this band. Lots what, of bands. <laughs> what happened to The Who and why were they never allowed to stay at a Holiday Inn Again, and it all goes back to Keith Moon's 21st birthday party. It's absolutely unbelievable. So we have to think for a second about where Holiday Inn was in pop culture in the late 60s. So now, not necessarily a place like your daughter doesn't even really know, right? She's like, oh, I think, I think I've heard of that. But it's not like, I remember even in the 80s knowing that it was like, it felt, we were lower middle class. So it felt kind of 
high high class to go yeah, to the Holiday yeah, Inn, right? Nice hotel. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was. Mean, it was thought of as a nice place. And I think some of that was the time. Some of it was socioeconomic status, but a, a lot of it was the time. It did a lot for the idea of what it was to, to stay overnight somewhere that wasn't your house. And in 67, it's the world's largest hotel chain. They have a thousand properties and it's mostly roadside motels and they have the great sign. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, they have the big classic sign on the side of the road. You're driving down uh, in a mostly abandoned thoroughfare and you're looking for a place to lay your head and you see the great sign. So, I mean, that's who they were in 67. It was where you stayed, the Holiday Inn. Every three days, a brand new Holiday Inn opens up. Oh, good morning, girls. You look fine. Ready for a big day? Big opening, huh? Oh, that's there. Okay. Don't forget, check the television every morning to make sure it's working. And above all, courtesy, promptness, and a big smile. And when it does, you can be sure that we're ready to serve you. Please? Mm -hmm. Fine. Everybody ready now? Left, face. Forward, heart. For who you represent, that uniform stands for something. Rip it up, rip it up now. Come on. This is the biggest day of our lives. And now for that moment we've all been expecting and waiting for patiently. The unveiling. More than 1,200 holiday inns have opened up all around the world. And everyone does more to make you welcome. Because our sign stands for a warm welcome. Or it doesn't stand at all. A great sign. Okay, that's funny. Um, okay, so let's look at August 23rd, 1967 as one would a chemical reaction. A list of the ingredients. Hyperactive kid with destructive tendencies celebrating a major milestone birthday. Lingering post-concert adrenaline rush. Motel with swimming pool. Here's a key ingredient. Lots of money. <laughs> Lots of presents by attendees, mostly alcohol. Lots of ladies. A very large birthday take, cake containing a girl. A Lincoln Continental limousine. Yes. An unsuspecting hotel staff. And finally, more alcohol. So, here's the legend. All right? Not all of this has been documented. The Who's on their first North American tour, and they're opening for Herman's Hermits at Flint, <laughs> Michigan's Atwood Stadium, which I just want to say... Everything about the sentence I just said is amazing. So they're right. opening for Peter Noon, which is like got to be, this has got to be the end of that happening. Some bands were born to be headliners, and this is one of them. And they're in Flint, Michigan. Real quickly, let's pause this. Have you ever seen an opening band that you knew you would never get to see as an opening band again? Yeah. I knew when I saw Guns N' Roses, I would never see them as an opening act ever again. And I saw White Snake as an opening act. And I knew that was never going to happen again because they were terrific. My most famous story like this, a little more recent, is probably 10 years ago, I saw, I went to see a local band, a guy who used to work for us. Remember Will? He had a band called The Pass? Yeah. I went to see The Pass play and a band from Cincinnati opened called Walk the Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. Walk the Moon was so good that they got an encore and they didn't have a song to do. So they came out and did a cover of... Uh, a total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to That's the really who. Funny. Okay. Back to the who. The concert ends a little bit before ten, and the band and the entourage go back to the motel. They're feeling good. It was highly successful. They're feeling the energy, and they start imbibing. 
lots of clothed and partially clothed party guests cannot resist the swimming pool. It should also be noted the swimming pool faces the parking lot, which is something, remember that? That was very much of the era as well. Yeah, a lot of that has gone that, away. But you used to, and I think it was because they were like, put your best assets forward, Betty. So they'd put the pool by the road. So you'd be like, oh, doesn't that look like a great place to stay? Because there's a pool. Yeah, now let's put your assets away from everybody else. <laughs> For all kinds of reasons, mostly legal and liable. Um, yeah. Okay, so property fire extinguishers are emptied. I think this is just, you know, they, they get a little carried away and they decide, oh, we're, we're going to really celebrate by spraying white goop into the parking lot. So people are out spraying the fire extinguishers. At one point, a toilet explodes inside a hotel room. This happens. Also, the drum company wheels a huge birthday cake into a meeting room. Hey, everybody, there's a birthday cake. You know enough to guess what happens with that birthday cake. What do you think happens? Uh, well, a girl comes out of it. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. That's 100% yeah. what happens. And then sure. Keith, Keith dumps the whole cake on a group of people that are at the party, which then starts a food fight. I was asked the other day by a little kid in our house. It's like, you ever been in a food fight? I'm like, no, man, it only seems to happen in movies. I really want to be in a food fight. Like as an adult, like I don't give a damn if if something really bad happens and I get in trouble or I mean what are they gonna do? Give me a demerit? Like, is there a ticket for food fight? I just is it disturbance, disturbing the peace? I don't know what it is, but I mean, this is my twenty twenty bucket list. I mean, who cares? I will tell you this though, I don't want to clean up a food fight. That's the real punishment of a food fight. You don't need to go to jail. Who wants to clean that no. up? No, it, it was like after the first time I saw the, not first time, but maybe the third time I saw the flaming lips and it was the end of the show and I realized someone had to clean up all the confetti. Yeah. It felt really bad. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly the same thing. So this food fight happens and it spreads as it would from the meeting room into the hotel lobby. And in, 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 in the ensuing confusion, Keith misplaces his clothing. I mean, okay, this sounds crazy, but here's what I think happens, right? He gets cake frosting all over his his leather pants or whatever and he takes them off so suddenly keith moon just is is giving some credence to his last name by mooning his party while all of this is going on the hotel calls the police and the police arrive and keith decides this is not where he should be so he tries to leave the party he jumps into a lincoln continental and releases the handbrake and the car rolls backward through a fence and into the deep end of the oh, swimming cool. pool. <laughs> I mean, this might be one of the greatest rock and roll stories of all time. Like, it really does play like some sort of Mad Dash caper, 60s beach party slash rock and roll biopic all wrapped up into one. Yeah, and you can see it happen because you've seen it in movies where cars like drive right into movies. But imagining a, something that you can put your hands around like a rock and roll person is kind of funny. Have you have you ever seen a car go into a pool? Because you're right. That is something that is immortalized on film a lot. But like, have you seen that happen? Just in movies. I'd be very interested. If anyone has a car they want to donate, I would be very interested to roll it into a pool or a lake and just watch that happen. This is I, This is the kind of stuff I think like rich people think about, right? It's like, I've done everything. I have no real restrictions in life. I think I'm just going to drop a I'm going to drop a Pontiac into a pond and see what. <laughs> All right. Happened. So back to the story. 
What happens after a car goes into the swimming pool? Well, Keith swims out of the car, and he is greeted at gunpoint by police officers. So what do you do? Do you call it a night? Do you try to explain the misunderstanding to the coppers? I would put my hands up and get in the car. That's not what Keith did. Uh, Ran? Keith, Keith, Keith tries to run, but do you remember the part of the story where I said there was a food fight? No, yeah. So there's cake all over the ground. So he, he falls because he's naked. <laughs> and he knocks out his front tooth. Oh, I've never heard this part of the story. That's so awesome. police apprehend Keith. And where do you think they take him? The dentist? Yeah. To jail. Yeah, they take him they to the dentist. Can you, imagine, can you imagine being the dentist? Well, this is like when we talked about on the Guns N' Roses episode, you asked me what happened to Slash after he thought he was being chased by the Predator and it turned out to be all in his head. Nothing. Nothing happened to Slash. What happens to Keith Moon after he breaks his tooth running from the police? They take him to the dentist as quickly as possible, probably in the middle of the night because remember, this whole thing started at 10. The dentist discovers that in his current state, this is actually an optimum time to have dental surgery because Keith does not need Novocaine. So... He repairs the tooth. And then Keith gets a bed at the county jail and he sleeps it off. The next day, he charters a plane and he flies to Philadelphia for the next tour stop. <laughs> wow. But you're asking me something, Mark. You're asking me, were there any repercussions? Yeah. The total damage bill ran $24,000 in 1967. What do you think that approximates today? $100,000? $132,000. <laughs> Reports include the record company buying the damp car from the owner. Notice this was not Keith's car. He found a random car. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was a rando car. And after the events of the evening, several things permanently changed within both the hotel and the entertainment industries. You ready? One, the Who are banned from performing in Flint, Michigan. Holiday Inn declared what it believed to be its first and only global lifetime ban on The Who from all future hotel stays in any Holiday Inn anywhere. And hotel operators discovered that promoting a celebrity visit was best after departure. So don't tell people that Keith Moon is at your hotel. That's part of the problem, right? Extra people showed up for this whole thing. And insurance carriers dramatically increased premiums for third-party property damage coverage in hotel concert tour policies. <laughs> it's also said that band road managers dramatically increased the amount of petty cash on hand to handle unforeseen talent-related incidents. Yeah, just shut up. Yeah, here's money. Make it go away. This isn't the only time Keith Moon assaults the travel industry. He basically goes into a 747 cockpit at some point and tries to do some drumming. Um, he throws televisions out of hotel windows. He hatchets hotel room furniture for kindling, and he blows up a toilet. All of this happens later in his career, but this is the incident that started it all. It is why the Who, even though I don't think they want to, the Who can no longer stay at a holiday. <laughs> Probably not, yeah. What do you think if you tried to book Pete Townsend in a Holiday Inn as a concert promoter? Do you think they tell you no? Now in, in 2020, maybe, do you think maybe, it shows maybe. up in their system? I mean, he's 70 plus, so I, I don't know how that all works. I can't imagine he'd stay at a Holiday Inn. 
<laughs> I know. I want to try, though. I want to try to book a reservation as Pete Townsend. Just call and be like, yeah, hey, it's Pete Townsend. I want to say can I have a say? Sorry, that's it. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible Pete Townsend <laughs> There you go. It's another rock and roll bedtime story, my brother. Sweet. Well, that's great. I always wanted to know a little bit more about the... I just can imagine he crashed into the pool, but that's all I really knew. There you go. It's it's the Who versus the Holiday Inn. It's Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. You can get involved. We are the story guys at gmail.com. Check us out at wearethestoryguys.com. And what do we want people to keep doing, Murdoch? Keep telling stories. See you next time, brother. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020 Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.